welcome to the Kingdom Yoga podcast, an attempt at showing you a myriad of different angles on what it is to live a life in yoga or from the perspective of yoga. Whether this is through the practice of asana or other modalities that our guests have committed to over most of their lives probably, all our guests we have, we think, particular stories of interest and ideas worth sharing. It is our sole attempt to help share as many different viewpoints as we can, so as your host, I try, not always succeeding, to take as back seat as I possibly can, hoping to provide an uninterrupted, unmediated experience of our guests. We work hard on the project, bringing you one episode a week, and for over a year now, and we have no, um, no thought of stopping this. We love it, but it certainly is a full-time endeavour, and so any contributions at kinyoga.com forward slash podcast are always noticed and appreciated. Today's guest is Dr. Yogi, or Andrew McGonagall, uh, a native of Northern Ireland, an actual doctor graduating from medicine in the UK. He only practiced for a matter of months before deciding that it was not for him. Already having adopted a meditation practice to cope with the stresses of his training as a doctor, he followed this thread through a sabbatical running the fashion house of Paul Smith in Australia, where he also started a yoga practice. Returning to London, he worked as a much-loved and uh, well-known part of the managerial team at our predominant yoga centre in London, Tri-Yoga. Now living in California, after a stint as an Ashtanga practitioner and yoga teacher himself, he now devotes his time uniquely, as his position is, to teaching yoga anatomy, where he has a refreshingly open style, incorporating Western medical understanding with Eastern ideas, involving energy, in fact. He's both rooted in clear understanding an evident depth of training, as well as coming from a perspective that is as much a yogi as it is a doctor. That is to say, I appreciate our chat very much and the kind of non-dogmatic and open perspective Andrew has. There was no right or wrongs here in his teaching and his, um, his conversation. In fact, no oughts, partly I wonder due to his revelation in my guilty pleasures question at the end, I always ask, that he's actually quite a fan of magic, magic mushrooms. Andrew has authored a couple of books um, and is a fantastic um, conversationalist, as well as obviously a unique position as a doctor and a yogi. <laughs> so welcome, Andrew, Dr. Yogi, to the Kenyan Yoga Podcast. Thank you so much. Great to be here. Thank you for inviting yeah. me. Yeah, it's great to have you. Um, so, I mean, I suppose the obvious place to start is just to ask you why why uh, why yoga i mean uh, your background in northern ireland doesn't suggest that you kind of contacted it in the in your early years how, how did yeah. you start and yeah i don't know i'm making a judgment there maybe you did no no you're very right um yeah. i think the it's funny because the first seed that was planted was that my mum, who's english but spent most of her life in northern ireland she had a yoga book in the 80s and would practice yoga at home, <laughs> you know? So I wasn't like hyper aware of it, but it was definitely there, you know, in the background. So there was a familiarity with it when I then became a little bit older. Um, and then I went to medical school um, when I was 18 and I went moved to England. And, you know, like most medical students, I imagine, I found the experience really stressful. It's an incredible experience. You know, I felt very privileged to, to be there, but I felt very stressful and I was tired all the time. And I was, I was really, really worried about 
you know, actually becoming a doctor and working as a doctor because I was like, if this is how I feel as a student, like, what am I going to feel like actually working as a doctor, you know? So basically a friend at the time recommended a meditation and meditation was something that I had heard about, but it definitely is, wasn't something like this. You know, I'm talking, this is back 2005, you know, so 16 years ago, meditation just. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. You know, it wasn't discussed as much as it is now. It's hard to believe yeah, yeah. now. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's like, it's like yoga. Like, do you remember people, I remember people are saying like, when you mentioned yoga, they're like, well, what's that then? Or as I mentioned, as I mentioned before, my, my dad used to send me martial arts copy. Yeah. You know, there's something in the paper, you know, cut it out, you know, send it to me. It's martial arts, you know, it's like, but it's, just, yeah. you know, it's the same thing, you know, but yeah, this is exactly. Things so have it changed felt, so it quickly. felt foreign, you know, it felt really foreign. It felt this like exotic thing that also felt kind of quite unattainable, really. But um, a friend, a friend recommended and recommended specifically transcendental meditation because that's what he had practiced and i got recommended this guy who was local to me who did one-on-one sessions and then you joined a group and um it was also great because he had branched away from like the main body of transcendental meditation so basically offered it to people at a much more accessible cost because uh, i believe that to study transcendental meditation actually it can be quite expensive anyway I I went for my first one-on-one session and had the most profound experience. I basically had an out-of-body experience from like the first session and it really blew my mind. It suddenly opened this gateway into spirituality that I had just been waiting to um, access again. You know, I know it's all, it's all within us, isn't it? And it's just about kind of allowing that to be revealed and you know, it was amazing. I had the most incredible experience. And then I then meditated religiously for years. Like I still, and I, I don't, it's interesting as I've got older, I don't do it as I do it more when I feel like I need to. It's kind of bizarre. I don't know if that's necessarily the best um, choice that I'm making for myself. <laughs> but, um, but, but for years I meditated. Well, you really needed it then. Yeah. 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 And you, and you completed your, your, your doctor training, right? I don't know what they yeah, call so it in medical yeah, school. Can, you complete, yeah, and it, yeah, it was so in Newcastle, I, right? In Newcastle. Exactly. Right? So in Newcastle upon Tyne. Yeah, that's good. And I, I graduated, I worked as a doctor and. Oh, you, you did. Know, I didn't it, know you did. I thought you didn't work as a, you did work as a doctor. Right. I did work as a doctor. I and I would meditate on the train on the way to work. I would go into the um, chapel of rest in the hospital and meditate. Um, so basically, it was like my anchor. It was the only thing that kept me there. But eventually, I found working as a doctor so incredibly stressful, and it just was. I just didn't have the right personality for it, and I left. And and most people thought I was totally crazy. Hmm. How long? How long did you work for? <laughs> I didn't work long. It was maybe nine months. I didn't even right, complete. Could, right. So it really, really wasn't wasn't a fit at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't a fit at all. And look, I had I had um, you know spent obviously five years at medical school, but also you know I'd I'd made that decision when I was what fourteen, fifteen. So I'd been on this trajectory, and it was very difficult to step off of that. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah, and also it's an esteemed profession, isn't it? So everyone's kind of rooting yeah. for you. You know, like you've had this opportunity to do this and you've obviously got the skills and the ability and, the, you know. Yeah, and it becomes part of your identity, you know. Like, Absolutely, like yeah, yeah, yeah. People say, oh, you're doing medicine, wow, you know, <laughs> right? Yeah. They never said that to me when I said, you know, 
I'm doing philosophy. <laughs> kind <Yeah>. of like, <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> You're doing something really good for everyone there. <laughs> but why, why, did you, um, why, why did you step off the, uh, the wagon, as it were? What was it in your personality that didn't, didn't gel with it? Isn't it kind of interesting? I think, I, think um, I found that what I needed to succeed as a doctor was I needed a level of detachment. I needed to be able to really see it as work and to not create a close bond with a lot of the patients. And I just basically wasn't able to do that. You know, I, um, yeah, I think I remember this la- this lady on my ward that I really connected with and she reminded me of my grandmother and I just created this close bond, not even intentionally. And then, you know, I remember walking into work one day and being asked to do a death certificate and it was for this lady and everything's do- everything was done in a very kind of cavalier attitude and I was just very, very sensitive to it. So I just found that um, routine things were just really getting to me on quite a deep level. Yeah, and um, I just didn't see a light at the end of the tunnel. It must have been the first thing they said to you, though, like in, in the school, don't get attached to your patients. <laughs> like, like, well, do you know what's interesting? Like, is I found that we didn't get any emotional support. I didn't get advice like that. I didn't. I wasn't given advice like this is, you know, do, do this. It was very much all just um, looking at the, the the medicine of it all and not really looking at the, the relationships, you know. Yeah, well, also, and also, I don't think that's right. I mean, I made a bit of a joke about it, but I don't think it's, no, you no. know, whenever, whenever I've gone to see a doctor, which has been fairly rarely, to be honest, I've felt the detachment very strongly. And I've felt that there's been a lack of presence and a lack of, you know, personal connection. And that's kind of, you know, if you imagine that, you know, back in the day when, you know, when we had a more integrated kind of society and we were treated by the local Mm -hmm. kind of shaman or whatever, a lot of it, surely, a lot of it is about the actual connection that we have with with the person and within our own healing for, to that, you know, to do with our connection, you know, with the person. So... But it's a bit of an aside, really. And there's there's another thing that comes to mind. Like I remember the first week of medical school, um, we were doing dissection work for the first time with cadavers, and I was amazed that no one basically pulled us aside and said, "Okay, most of you are maybe going to see a dead body for the first time, and you know you might find yourself react in this way, and that's completely normal." Or no one pulled us aside after the session and said, um, "You know." hope that was all okay for you you know how do you all feel don't worry if you have vivid dreams tonight we were basically just left we were, most of us were 17 18 and we were just left to our own devices and i just felt that there wasn't enough emotional support there and you're doing some really quite bizarre things <laughs> well also yeah i don't know whether it's changed now do you know whether it's changed i mean it seems like you're going to so. turn I out think- some very so very traumatized potentially individuals, right? Who've learned to suppress yeah. their actual their their actual and healthy healthy reactions to things. Exactly. Um, and I felt that I didn't have for a, a career. to Yeah, yeah. I felt like I didn't have a way to um, express that because it was shown as a weakness. You know, someone fainted and we were like, Oh, they're not gonna last. Right, right, right. I really hope, Adam, that it's changed. I don't know. Like I'm I'm sure it has in many ways. Um, it's always going to be a tough, challenging career, you know. I but I hope that the. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I hope so, <laughs> for all the medical students' sake. Before we go down my quibbles with a lot of modern medicine, what um what <laughs> what got you into the what what happened next? Because I know, I mean, I yeah. heard of you at Tri-Yoga in London uh, many years ago. Oh, you worked, yeah, at, you know, yeah. yeah, you worked at Tri-Yoga. I taught at Tri-Yoga in London. Um, so, what was the trajectory then? It must have been 
a huge crisis and turning point, just quitting and everyone's saying to you, don't quit, you know, you'll get better, you know, it'll change. And, and well, what were your feelings around that? And why did you, why yoga then? Why did you jump into yoga yeah. at that point? Yeah, you're right. You're so right, Adam. It was, it was a crazy time. And I think a lot of people said, oh, you're so brave. I didn't feel brave. I just felt like I was um, desperately trying to keep my head above water because I'd been on this trajectory and I knew that it wasn't right for me, but also I didn't have the luxury of knowing what was next. So I took a little, I took a little bit of time out, a couple of months, and then I uh, basically ended up um, working in fashion. <laughs> so basically. <laughs> that with that, I, that's um, a, the natural progression. You know, Yes. It's a natural progression with a medicine. Yes, yes, but, listen, yeah, yeah. but you know what was interesting was I, I've always loved fashion and I focused on transferable skills. I was like, I have developed so many amazing skills as a medical student and as a junior doctor that I can bring to literally any career. And I really needed something polar opposite, basically just for that time of my life. And I ended up moving to Sydney, Australia. And I worked in um, fashion. I worked for the British fashion designer, Paul Smith. And it was an amazing few years. And I, what's wonderful is I basically learned how, how to run a small business. Obviously, Paul, Paul Smith, if you know it, is a huge international business. But in Australia, we had like a little satellite office. And I learned all these amazing business skills, how to market all this admin, like um, publicity. And that's really, you know, now coming kind of full circle, I've been able to bring all that into my own career as a yoga teacher and anatomy teacher, which has been wonderful. But basically, when I was living in Australia, I walked past a yoga shala on the way to work every day. And it just kept catching my eye. And I basically started like a regular Hatha yoga practice and just absolutely loved it. I felt transformed, you know, I just, it helped me to really, um, really develop a sense of introspection and really start to become aware of how I was feeling, not just in my body, but also with my mental well-being and my, my spiritual well-being. And it was just wonderful. And then after a couple of years of regular practice, I just had this, it sounds a bit cheesy, but I just had this epiphany. I just saw myself teaching yoga. And I've always been a natural teacher. My parents are both teachers. And even at high school, I would teach the other students in my class, like they would come to me after school and I would teach them the topic we'd just been taught. It's teaching's always, always been a natural thing to me. So, so it just felt, I felt like suddenly all these things were kind of falling into place. And then I moved, I moved back to London and started, started practicing Ashtanga yoga, which I practiced then for years. And then eventually went off and did an Ashtanga teacher training. And that was the beginning of my journey. So that was about 12 years ago now. Right. Right. Um, right. Yeah, so uh, you know, it's pretty unusual. I suppose I mean, you were practicing in in tri yoga, I suppose, and I, I practiced yeah. with Hamish Henry, and um, you know, which was just such a wonderful experience. And then I started working at tri yoga in the head office, and I then moved and started practicing Ashtanga yoga there every morning before work, and it was amazing. Like it just, um, you know, along with my meditation practice, it just really helped me to kind of be the version of myself that I wanted to be at that time. <laughs> you know? Right. Okay. Because, yeah, because you're no longer practicing Ashtanga, I take it. Yeah, I'm not, you know. And, and you're kind of more well known for, for a kind of, a, you know, alignment and mechanics, which isn't inherently the subject which goes with Ashtanga. Yeah, it's, um, 
you know, I think it would be interesting for us to talk about, you know, maybe a little bit later about what alignment means to people, because I think it means such, it can mean such different things. But yeah, I, um, so without getting, well, no, I don't mind getting too personal, but basically I um, was practicing, going to self-practice, you know, five or six days a week. And I ended up um, starting a relationship with one of my fellow students in the class. And we basically fell in love. And and the re- the relationship didn't last. And when we broke up, it was impossible for me to share that space with that person. And I then ended up finding myself distancing myself. And obviously, I could have gone to like another shallot. <laughs> but for whatever reason at the time, that didn't feel right. And then at the same time, um, I began um, psychoanalysis. So I was basically going to therapy three times a week at the time which is like you know this crazy commitment and the therapy was so confronting and in a great way like now that i look back on it but basically from from my yoga practice i didn't i needed something much much more gentle and nurturing not to say that ashtanga yoga can't be those things but it's but um no i understand yeah i I basically basically found myself that like navigating away from that practice that I knew. Yeah, yeah. So where does the, I mean, where does the alignment and the interest, well, sorry, using this word again, let's let's go straight to the nub of it. What, you know, you're, you know you've, you've written, a, you know, a book on, let's say, yoga mechanics. Is that, would that be, a, you know, yeah. or, yeah, body yeah. mechanics. And obviously you have the background for it, which makes you quite uniquely positioned in the yoga world, being a practitioner, <laughs> selling your book now, and being a, uh, you know, a, a, a doctor, essentially a doctor. And so, you you know, you, you, you really bridge these two worlds well. Um, yeah, I'd love for you to speak a little bit more about what you see as alignment in the practice then. Yeah, it's funny because, um, you know, I think alignment means different things to different people. And I think um, the idea of alignment has also evolved, particularly over the last maybe five or so years. I used to to call myself an alignment-based teacher, but I didn't really know what I meant by that. It's a little bit like wearing a t-shirt with a slogan on it and not knowing what the slogan means. (laughs) You know, but basically what, so... um, Back when, at the start of my teaching journey, I think that I had this impression that basically there was a a right way, like one right yeah. way to practice a, an asana. I think many of us feel like that. <laughs> multiple yeah. kind of wrong ways. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And, I had the same feeling. You know, and then, so basically I thought alignment was was the, about, about accessing the right way. Does that make sense? So, yeah, absolutely. So, yep, yep, yep. And and now as a teacher, I don't I don't have that opinion. Like I basically feel like alignment is a personal, um, it's a personal thing to each of us that can shift throughout the day and between days, where it's about basically um, finding the right position or the right way to move for a body in that moment that actually feels right for us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's an interesting one. And then I think other people um, think about alignment in different ways. Like maybe maybe it's about stacking joints. Yeah, well, it's unusual for you to, to talk about feeling, you know, a way that feels right. Whereas I would have thought you would talk about, well, there's a certain way having cut into a body many times 
this is the way that this rotator, shoulder rotator cuff is meant to move. And therefore, if you're doing this and this, that's wrong. That's going to impinge on that joint. And therefore, yeah. you should move in this. And you don't feel like that then. You don't feel there's a definite, definite yeah. kind of mechanical way that the body moves. Mm. Yeah, no, I think um, I don't I don't believe that there's any such thing as as right or wrong movement, you know, and I think it's basically, um, you know, it's about how that how that movement feels for us, like what the intent is behind the movement, um, you know, is is this more of a passive or more of an active position that we're in and then and then making the right choices based on that yeah so i i have a much more kind of open opinion about it and also i'm realizing that there, there's so much stuff that is shared in yoga that just doesn't have any kind of evidence base so the you know you mentioned about sh shoulder impingement is something that's talked about a lot and it's shoulder impingement all comes from a theory from a from a um a guy called um, Near N E E R, and basically he was he was the guy that that theorized that um, in certain positions the rotator um, cuff and also um, part you know different parts of the the shoulder joint essentially um, were impinged from the acromion of the of the shoulder joint, and actually we're realizing that that most likely just isn't the case because there's a lot of research that basically. Um, compares people who have had surgery to remove these elements that are that are thought to create impingement, or there's another group that are just treated with physiotherapy and they have the same results. So you know, I think it's I think as a, as um you stepped on a later question I was going to ask you. Yeah, yeah go, ahead. go ahead. No, no, that was a later question. Exactly, they're going to uh, when it might be necessary to have surgery and what you think about surgery within yoga, because it's increasingly so. I mean, I think a few years ago, no one thought that you could kind of hurt yourself in yoga. And now it's sort of like, well, you know, yeah, of course you can. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? And I think what, what my fear is, is that it's kind of gone to the other end of the spectrum where now a lot of people are going, oh my God, like yoga creates all this, these injuries. Look, injuries happen. Um, you, you know, so much, a lot of yoga for us is, is physical. Obviously, it's way more than the physical. We know that. But basically, with any physical activity comes a risk of injury, you know. And there are certain things that you can do to um, potentially prevent that. But life happens, you know. And can you give examples of those? Because I'm just thinking, I mean, what you're talking is very, I'd say, very contrary to, to the medical, you know, kind of, uh, education you've had in a way, right? Like, I mean, because I, I kind of, I, to share my experience, for example, of, of a shoulder, I mean, my own shoulders play up now and again, and one day they might feel like there's really something wrong there, you know, and then that might last for a number of days, you know, um, and then, you know, like, it, it feels like there's a, literally energy shifting in the body and it's not actually a, necessarily a mechanical, I, I assume it's a mechanical imp uh, uh, implication that's, you know, but it's, you know, a week later, I have, I, there's not, a, there's not a glimmer of it, you know, honestly. I, I, and I love that you're able to tune into that sense because I think you're right. Like what we're realizing is that like, just to talk about pain science briefly, we're realizing that, um, you know, p pain and tissue damage are often not related. You know, we're realizing exactly. that mm -hmm. and, um, our experience of pain needs to be looked at in a holistic way. And now what's great is that most of the medical world are looking at it through the biopsychosocial model. So you're, you're, you know, I love that you're saying that, that you basically feel like energy shifts in your body and then you suddenly have a different experience and, and the, the tissues might not have changed, but something else has changed, you know? And I think it's so important that we all um, open our eyes to that, you know, because I think, um, 
when we start to change our, our understanding and the narrative that we carry around pain, then we can shift the experience we have and we realize that nothing is permanent. So why would why would pain be permanent, you know, if nothing else in the universe is permanent, you know? So I think um I think these are just really important things to understand. And this is what I love about teaching anatomy because I'm not there just literally helping people to remember the names of muscles and bones. Like that's not really not going to help anyone in any way, but I'm, I'm there to really help people to like connect to the wonder of the human body, <laughs> you know, and to start look at things in a different lens and change the way that they, that they speak to themselves, to their body and the way that they speak to the, the, the bodies of their students, you know? So I think, okay. There's so much power in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get, can you give an example of that? Like, sorry to put you on the spot, but you mentioned yeah, um, no, things no. that you could do, maybe things you could do better or worse. Like if you see someone, I mean, now the, um, the it's like the, uh, the, the the most terrible thing you could be is hypermobile, right? A few years ago, you know, yeah. it was great to be a, you know, a bendy, stretchy person. Now you see someone, you know, oh, don't overstretch, right? Like, yeah. um, I mean, you know, what, what are your feelings on, you know, and, and actual things you would say, no, that's really best. You're not, you don't do that. You know, like you, you want to take that back or you're going to cause yourself an injury. Can you give any concrete, more concrete examples? Yeah. So I think um, what, what, what I find really useful when I'm teaching teachers is to understand the difference between flexibility and mobility. And, you know, the, these, the, there, are, there are multiple definitions for these terms. But basically, you can think of flexibility as um moving beyond your active range into a more passive range so that's either using um, external force or using your body weight or gravity um, it's not it's not necessarily a bad thing you know it's not bad per se but then mobility is about staying within your active range so the range that you have kind of basically full control over and i think when we start to understand the difference between those then we can start to potentially make better choices for ourselves but if we never if we never break down movements and go oh yeah i've now moved beyond the range that i can fully control myself then then it's much harder for us to make those decisions so 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 when i'm teaching it's a lot of it's about helping people to understand the difference so for example if you're looking at shoulder extension you can you can um, reach your arms behind you and clasp your hands and then see how high you can lift your hands. So think you're doing um, Prasarita Padottanasana. Yes, rather than... Well, it kind of brings me to mind, and you know, what what are your feelings then uh, as opposed to now in terms of the Ashtanga adjustment? Because we all know the Prasarita C adjustment. Um, I've yeah. refrained from doing that particular adjustment for many years. I mean, you know, a lot of it involves passive passive uh, exactly. adjusting right like adjusting people into realms they can't do themselves and again like i'm never ever black and white about things i'm never going to say as a blanket statement that's wrong but what i will say is if, if you are always on a regular basis if you're moving your shoulder to that extent and it's passive range but you're never doing active work and there's very very little active shoulder extension in a traditional yoga practice then your shoulder is not going to be as healthy as it could be i'm just going to put it there like i'm not going to say oh this will lead to injury because we can't make really <laughs> yeah, we can't make statements yeah. like that again but so but if you if you then do work where you're lifting your arms behind you but you're not clasping your hands or you're not using a strap and you're doing regular work to actually actively move through shoulder extension, it's definitely going to help. And I think that I think these things need to be coupled. So if you're doing extreme passive movements a lot, I really don't think that your body's going to be in the in the best shape 
for you. <laughs> you know, so I. No, I mean, I like it that you're saying you, you know, you're not categorical about it. And I think it's really important because I remember having the message, you, you may not have had it, but, you know, that will injure you. If you keep on, you know, I've heard that from many, t- you know, the way yeah. you're doing that was going to lead to injury. And you just kind of think, well, yeah. you know, and I had that said to me a number of times. I think, well, you know what? It didn't. You know, because yeah, everybody exactly. has and different conversations and balances and I can hinge like yeah. a, a 90, 180 degrees from my lower back, like a flamenco dancer. And it's, you know, honestly that, yes, looking at it, you think, well, that doesn't look great, but it's never caused me any problems. You know? Exactly. And look, that's fear-based language, which I really try to avoid because what you're doing is you're setting someone up with a negative expectation. And if you're telling someone that they're going to get and injured could, from something, then maybe, yeah. yeah, the likelihood of them becoming injured is higher. It's the, no, it's the nocebo effect. Because we, we all talk about the placebo effect, and most people know about the placebo. But, but nocebo, but this, I'm not making it up. I, like, I wish, this is gonna hurt I, wish you. I was yeah. making this up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I have, heard, I have heard of it, but I, I like it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it's also, David, the same, or sorry, Adam, don't know why I'm calling you David. Adam, it's the same as, say, a, a Virabhadrasana, you know, so it's like, but like Virabhadrasana, warrior pose, you know, um, a very common cue is, you know, keep your knee above your ankle to protect your knee joint. Now, that's not biomechanically sound. Um, yes, it's valid to keep your knee above your ankle. Just convention, isn't it? Because someone's told it in the TT and, you know, these things become passed on. I mean, you never saw, I mean, Patavi, you look at Patavi Joyce, for example. I mean, not that ne- he's necessarily a paradigm of, you know, uh, comfortable body movement, but <laughs> certainly, in the, you know, when you see kind of um, older Indian pictures of Virabhadrasana and things like that, you know, the knee is way past the ankle, right? The, yeah. The, the, so many of the rotations are like not in, in the kind of current paradigm yeah. of alignment. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think then what, what this does is it unconsciously creates this narrative that the knee is inherently um, fragile or unstable. Yes, which is, it's yes. It's not. Look, I'm, look knee, knee complaints are very common, but basically it's not as if, you know, when the body was being created, you know, um, it's not as if, say, like, let's, let's use the term God just in this moment. And I understand that it's not a word that everyone, you know, um, connects to but you know it's not as if god was having a bad day when it came to the knee and decided oh it's not quite perfect but i'm just going to move on <laughs> do you know what <laughs> yeah. i mean like our bodies are perfect um yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know so i think the the if we move away from this fear-based fragility language i think it'll, it will really help us you know yeah and also that it's never it's never so cut and dry like I got into not not an argument at all but into a discussion more recently for describing the knee as a basically is a hinge joint but obviously it's not just a hinge joint it does have um that yeah. medial you know that that movement that medial movement then um, you're right it does have the micro movement to the sides you know in general you yeah. see you're exploiting that a lot even you know in padmasana really you're exploit and it's not inherently bad i suppose so but no. then we're, we're, what what are we left with if we can't kind of try and guide our students with kind of clear definitive well don't do that don't do this i mean how how do you then yeah teach so i I, I have a framework and I will, I will say something like, you know, um, you can, I think it's still okay to say things like, you know, in, in, in a warrior, for example, you know, traditionally we, 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 we stack the knee above the ankle and just leave it there. You don't have to go on to say, oh, to protect your knee, but also say, for example, in, um, in like a pigeon pose, what I will do is instead of um, thinking about what the pose looks like, I would try to focus more on the quality of the pose. So I would encourage students to say, look, you know, let's try to just be a little bit more active and engaged in this position. 
So can you actively, you know, press the parts of the front leg that are in contact with the mat down into the mat? You know, can you spread through your toes a little bit more? And then basically, when we feel a bit more alive and active in the pose, then, you know, the the the, the structures that are having load bared on them are, are, much, are going to be much more happy. They're going to feel a bit more supported, you know? I mean, how individual is it as well? Because, I mean, everyone has a distinct body where particularly some muscles are particularly active and other muscles never really get engaged, right? I mean, I think it's like a kind of rubrics cube of slightly different kind of um, muscle active and passive arrangements in every particular person. So then I mean, how specific can you ever get with a, with, you know, alignment-based yoga, right? Or, you know, yeah. treating each person as a, as, a t- as a kind of tabula rasa for, for their own alignment. Yeah, yeah, completely. Um, so it's just, I just find it fascinating to watch um, in general what's happening with teaching, and it's shifted a lot over the last five years. You know, I think um, it's, I don't know if you have the same opinion, but I've, I've seen it go from being very like, this is the way to do it, to now. Well, also, you meant, yeah, and you mentioned the idea of tradition as well. I mean, you say, well, I don't think anyone would have a problem, but actually many people have a problem with saying this is how it was traditionally done, because then they'll say to me, and many times they've said to me on, on posts and stuff, well, then what is, what do you call it tradition, right? Like, when do we go back? Do yeah. we go back to Batabi Joyce or do we go back further and right? And, you know, and then inherently, just because it's old, <laughs> does that make it good? Yeah. You know? Does that make it right? You know? So Yeah, no, it's it's very correct. I think, I, I suppose, I suppose, what we've got is an opening up to many different perspectives because we have just a li- have had a little bit more time in what we're doing. So the first person to talk of alignment, really, I ever heard was Richard Freeman, and they they said he, in Ashtanga he was he wasn't Ashtanga, he was a Yengar, you know, like, which is kind of funny now to reflect, right? Like Ashtanga isn't alignment based, you know, like well, you know, do you want to move sustainably and healthily for the rest of your life doing the practice or not? <laughs> Yeah, but, um, yeah, and it's funny, isn't it? Because I think my experience of um, Ashtanga when I started, and and maybe it's not even to do with my my teachers. Maybe it's just through. Maybe it's just the, the personal lens that I saw it through. You know, I had this again belief that there is a right and wrong way to do things. So I, you know, so it's weird because I see Ashtanga as being, or where it can be very much alignment based. You know what I mean? And then for other people. They don't see I it think that so. I know. I very much so because remember, you're doing the same thing every day, so you really can be very fine tuned in what you're doing. It's not like, I mean, you know, like nothing against vinyasa flow inherently, although I often actually um, <laughs> speak badly about it on the podcast. But you know, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, in that kind of thing, you're moving in such. I kind of feel like I did one class once. And I thought this is a recipe for injury because you're being asked. You're looking at the front to what the teacher's doing, and you're going to, you know. I mean, I can see it as enjoyable and fun, and you know, I can understand the attraction. But I kind of actually, I think the you know, alignment possibilities or the, the ability to work very particularly with your own body is so great when you're repeating that same formula every day. Actually, yeah. Um, but I mean, just to kind of nicely sidebar into another issue, I mean, we do have a lot of issues with knees and lower backs, and I wanted to ask you since I've got you uh, as a doctor here. Is there no pressure? Is there is there any um? Is there any kind of advice you'd give? Because I get at least a one message a week on Instagram or Facebook or something about people asking, I've hurt my knee, I've hurt my lower back. And I, I you know, to this day, I'm, I'm unclear about categorical instructions or, you know, meaty instructions to actually give them, you know, in terms of yeah. what to do. Or well, I think, do. I think it's a really good question because, you know, um, e- even though I have a medical background, you know, I am, I'm no longer registered as a doctor. So, 
I really make sure that I don't um, diagnose or attempt to treat people. And I think just because there is this large expectation from people because they know my background to for me to give them advice, I don't feel like I have to meet people's expectations. So I I would really say like a comment like I get I get these questions all the time and I often just say I I'm, I'm I don't enjoy I don't find it appropriate for me to give advice over the internet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, because look at the end at the end of the day people really do if, if they're if they're having a persistent issue they really do need to go to see a medical professional they need to go to see a, a physio that really understands yoga you know i think is helpful um you know because basically you know as regular um yoga practitioners we all have way more flexibility than the average person i would think it's fair to say and often a physio who literally doesn't know anything about yoga can almost look at us in kind of a weird way sometimes. So I, I would say, you know, within the within your community, reach out um, and find physiotherapists that are also yoga practitioners and get advice from them about, about stuff. But basically for me, I, you know, on a personal level, if I say have a twinge in my lower back, you know, we're all, none of us are getting younger, are we? Um, you know, not not that not the back pain is a rite of passage with aging, but basically, I I just I treat myself with movement. Like I am a big fan of somatic movement. So just you know, all movement for the um, movement where you're not focused on the the exterior goal, but it's all about the introspection. And I just find that moving my body regularly through the day and very slow mindful ways like really tuning into how it feels is just such a wonderful um it's great advice because but i was so often it infuriates the life out of me when people come back and say well i've been to the doctor and they've told me not to you know i've got a they've got a lower back complaint for example usually it's a lower back because they've told me not to do any movement especially not yoga or forward folds or any back bends for uh for two months you think yeah it's what not the hell is it. that what the you know, like, who is this person? <laughs> Have they ever seen yoga? <laughs> exactly. I've got a lot of respect for doctors. You know, my sister's a doctor. I've got a lot of friends or doctors. I would not go to a doctor for a musculoskeletal issue, honestly. Like, I just think they're so wonderful in, in different lanes. But, like, I would just, I would go... You know, I, I think that's the one of the kind of things I, you know, the, the, one of the bugbears I have with uh, with with the profession is that yes, there's certain things that they're fantastic for, right? You know, but it doesn't make everything that we have it as as a health complaint great for a doctor, you know? Yeah. And if you get into a car accident, I can't I can't deny I'd want to go to a doctor, not a homeopath, not an acupuncturist, <laughs> you know. But for other things, it doesn't make that they're, they're they're right for you know everything, right? Like, yeah, completely. So I I wouldn't I find that you know, and I'm totally generalizing here, but I find that most of the time not to be that helpful at all, and often to be unhelpful. They you know the idea of not moving is such an old school idea. It is, it is, and it has, and honestly, it has, it has changed a bit, you know. It has, yeah. No, but there's still people that that say this, you know, and you just need, you need to keep moving, but you need to, I would say, you know, just for a little bit, move in a much more kind of intentional, mindful, controlled way, and, um, you know, but yeah, I'm kind of, I'm being a bit of a politician, I'm, I'm moving around the issue, but yeah, but basically, I've, I've really, I've become really clear not to 
not to give advice that's kind of beyond my role as a yoga teacher because I do although obviously I, I actually mainly teach anatomy but it still doesn't give me the license to um you know to diagnose or treat and often as yoga teachers will will diagnose unintentionally because we'll say to someone oh are you you know I think you're hypermobile like that, yeah, you're diagnosing yeah. someone <laughs> yeah you know and it was you're planting a seed and, and it doesn't you know and yes yeah, a pejorative term isn't it well now you are you ought to not be right like I don't know. I mean, my feeling is to allow people a comfortable, healthy expression in their body and to try and somehow foresee how that might be maintained for the long term, right? And there's certain yeah. kind of patterns of movement you think, well, you know, you don't know, but you think, you suggest that maybe you might want to suck it and see a little bit longer before engaging in that extremity, you know, that you yeah. can see there in terms of seeing how that will play out. But I don't know. I mean, increasingly, and I remember when I was teaching in London a lot in the city of London, I was seeing problems with with the Ashtanga model that I was, you know, I was learnt and I wasn't, I wouldn't say I was given, but I enjoyed in my store with the knees, you know, that they, we got, you got guys, bankers, for example, coming in, they sit down at a desk all day. They haven't got the knees for the Ashtanga. And then it's like, well, then what do you do? You know, how do you modify these postures so they're not just because you can see them, you know, like these very sensible adults come into the room and they just lose their heads. And they're getting their legs yeah. and they're kind of jamming their legs. You get the, oh my God, you know, having had two uh, arthroscopies, two meniscus uh, surgeries myself, you just kind of think, oh, that's terrible. I mean, what, what, how, I mean, you know, people do complain about this. How would you uh, modify the, the practice for the knees or, or have you got any suggestions at all for people that might be listening? Um, yeah, I think it's, um, it's really challenging because often people just don't want to hear what you have to say, <laughs> you know, in terms of that student, cause I've had so many students, you know, and, um, you know, what are you going to do? Are you going to ban them from the class, you know, because, because you think they're forcing their body too much? Yeah, I don't know. It's like, and I, and I don't think that necessarily then, oh, let's just allow them to get injured and then they'll learn. I don't think that's, you know, either. I don't think that's the good way. So no, um, nor walking over to the meeting and going, well, you just, just relax. Or <laughs> this is going to add a kind of fire, fuel to the fire, isn't it? Oh, don't do that. Or just, you know, like, does it really help? Because I de- ideally we'd, you know, we'd be able to um, really get it through to people that, you know, the, the asana practice is so much more than the, than the physical. And some, some people there are, are there for such clear like physical goals but again it's it can be very challenging to get that through to people in a group environment but also when you're only maybe seeing them once every few weeks or whatever it is yeah i don't know i think um i just think that as a yoga community we just have to um keep reiterating these messages that it's not all about the physical um and that that forcing the body is inappropriate that the use of props or or the use of um, modifications is really important. It's not a sign of weakness to do that. That we're that we're all um, individual and that we have to then realize that we'll have individual needs and it's 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 hard. It's not easy, you know. And but I think that the more we chip away at that, um, hopefully the message will start to um, kind of get into people, you know. But um, I think what we're trying to kind of 
do really if we're talking about alignment is cultivate an inner an inner attitude of alignment with one I mean it's, you know, it's, you know, it's a bit it's a bit cliche isn't it but alignment with no, oneself no, or with an, an attitude yeah. of nurturing that nurturing from the inside out rather than kind of a mental it's just one more thing you've got to get right oh I'm not aligned I mean I've had it myself I'm not aligned the teacher here says I ought to and I'm just another thing that I've got wrong another thing that I've not you know that I'm willfully that I'm willfully not doing or, or my body isn't good enough because it isn't aligned you know I mean and I've always uh, and more recently taught a much more I suppose I hesitate to use the word um, traditional or at least we're talking 50 years back approach to the Ashtanga practice where we're encouraging people to pull back from the forward fold and, and, and engage with the you know the, the lower abdomen and this kind of area we call bunda I don't, again don't like to use this word too much but um, you know rather than these straight lines that we have in the kind of alignment principles originally that we ought to be straight and stacked and uh, you know, um, parallel lines, which yeah. I think is a, is a kind of Western aesthetic, which has then been fed into ideas on the body. The body has now been squ- squashed into straight cubes. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's complicated, isn't it? It's so layered, and <laughs> you know, and then and then it's like, how do we start to like unpack all of that? You know, um, I, I heard that you recently you've been. You or you've been part of like creating like a forum for Ashtanga teachers. Is that correct? So you I, talk about I did how that. I did. Yeah, yeah. I did. I did. I did one, and we're going to do. Yeah, we're going to do it. Yeah, moving forward in Ashtanga, we did one with Eddie Stern, and and we've got another one on women Ashtanga coming up soon. But um, I'll keep on keep on doing it. I think just think it's the poor. It's a different perspectives. That that's that for me yeah. is the is is the point is the point of my work. And just I, bring different. And perspectives I think there's so much there's so much power in that because as a collective group. You know, if you can all share ideas and come up with something that you'll believe work, like that will help to shift the culture, you know, and that's then going to help students that come into the shallot to not to or to force themselves less. I think, you know, we're, 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 there's, there's only so much control that we're ever going to have in that and, and who we have walking in and how they're going to conduct kind themselves. Also the re- yeah, I suppose also the realisation that it's a, it's a process and with all the best will in the world, I would never have... If oh, I had, I in fact I had, you know, kind of teachers, you know, so, hey, you know, you don't need to practice in that manner, you know. When I was twenty years, you know, full of the anger of a young male, and you know, I was practicing in a harsh, rajasic kind of way, and you know, and I had negative feelings towards myself, and um, you know, but that, in a way, you know, that the practice was a vehicle for that. It was a vehicle for the expression of that, and and I felt that. The best advice I had, which was from John Scott, is practice the way you feel in a way. I mean, okay, you, you know, that could have potentially taken me towards pushing myself to injury. But then, I don't know, it's all a, it's all a process. And that rather than repressing one's sense of self-expression, I ought to practice in a more restrained way, in a, a right way, you know, rather than thinking of it as, as an expression of what's inside in a more holistic way that you're, you're expressing that. And there's no inherently right or wrong way to to express your own feelings about your own self and your own body, you know? Exactly. And I think the difficult thing is that we're kind of fighting against basically social media, which is constantly showing images of what an asana should be. And it's often these, all this fancy stuff. And I'm just like, Oh, it's like, because as a, as someone who's new to yoga, you just have this, are getting this such clear idea that again, there is a right and a wrong way to do things. And it's just hard. It's hard, you know, and then, you know, it's hard. And then 
That's hard well, to it's always, about, that it's always about degree, isn't it, as well? That's the, the trouble is that the asana image is about degree, isn't it? Because it's the only visible sign you've got of doing well is the degree, the quantity in which you could do the stretch. Well, it doesn't talk about the feeling of, of what you're getting. I mean, I remember doing, I've, you know, I've done loads of asana shoots and you do these advanced looking, and you feel nothing at all. You know, you, it's like a, like kind of like voguing, you know, like, you know, you yes. feel nothing. There's no feedback. There's nothing positive going on at all. It's, it's, it's rather embarrassing. And, um, you know, this is, this is what we're, you know, what, what we're queuing in the yoga world now. It's just kind of looking to degree and forgetting that there should be some kind of balanced feeling, a, po- a positive response to, to imbalance to what you're doing. But, um, to that, uh, I wanted to ask you before I waffle on too much is about um, about medical interventions because well, recently again I've had a discussion with a number of people on whether they should get medical intervention or not and I, I as I mentioned I had two meniscus tears and I had the arthroscopy the surgery for that and I have to say that I had you know as we've talked you know as I've mentioned a couple of times I'm not a huge fan of medical in- intervention generally but I had very positive experience of that you know I had I was um, doing those those advanced asanas again, you know, in the uh, advanced A and B series with the knees bending in all funny ways. You know, you'd never imagine that, you know. So I actually have to say I had positive experiences of it, but um, yeah, we're all reluctant to generalize as well. Um, and do you have any any thoughts on, on research or experience that you've had with people having uh, as, opposed, as opposed to not having the surgery? Because latterly I put in the post, I didn't have a surgery when I could have had a couple of years ago because of the COVID stuff, I think, and because I thought I'll just see how it feels. And and it worked out fine. But like, yeah. But what yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's, again, it's really difficult. I think, um, you know, it's such a personal thing, and I think um, I think surgery, medical intervention has its place. Um, I think ideally it should be something that's um, lower down the priority list in terms of other, you know, other things. Um, kind of, um, you know, other things looked at first. Um, you know, in terms of physiotherapy and, and different treatments. Um, yeah, I think I think it's. Um, you know, this this sounds, um, you know, it makes me sound like a bit of a hippie, but I think sometimes you, like often when people ask me, I'm just like, you need to meditate on it, you know, you need to like really <laughs> go inward and you need to, you need no to No wonder you never stuck like, as a doctor. You know, exactly. And also I think I'd make a better politician because I never give a clear answer, but, but, um, <laughs> but I think that, you know, I think the thing is to throw the, to throw the question back onto the patient, you know, because it is a question of. If healing is going to happen, it is it is from the inside out, really, isn't it? Really, with all the best yeah, will in the world, like people can only can only try to help point the question back at the individual. Generally, I think. Yeah, and I think you know the the body does have a you know miraculous way of healing, but there's some sometimes you need help with that, you know. And these these structures inside the knee joint, um, you know, have such limited blood supply, and it, it can take a lot. The healing process can be very very prolonged, and sometimes we need assistance with that and if that feels like the right thing to do then you know then i think you need to do it yeah again i just think that again there's no there isn't i don't think there's like a checklist of you know or if 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 you're having this this and this you need surgery and if not i think it's just and get also get second opinions you know if if you if you go to see a doctor or a surgeon and something about it doesn't resonate with you that's okay um 
go and get another opinion from someone else mm, mm, uh, about, about what yes, you should do. Yeah. And then, and then hopefully you can come up with a plan that actually resonates, you know? Um, no, I realize I'm, I'm not, I wasn't meant to be putting you on the spot. I just wondered if, I mean, that's a good advice, for example, for the start, that's a good, you know, get, get a few opinions. Yeah. I suppose the other, other obvious things are give it a bit of time and see how it pans out. I mean, I, mean, I kind of suppose I've, I've, reticently given you know the slight slid the possibility in there before to people after seeing a cut you know they say, after a couple of years of them say well i'm trying to heal my knee and it's been two years of them sitting there in ardabana padma you know that you know the first knee you know and they're still sitting there in a kind of genesis arsenal with the foot kind of way down the knee and you just think this isn't happening for you you know like i'm not going to say get surgery but certainly yeah there's not a blanket no yay or nay here i suppose and also it depends on quality of life because if you're if in everyday life your your knee feels fine, but then when you're doing a certain asana and it's and it's triggering, maybe you just need to not do that asana. <laughs> you know, so I think you have to take it all into context and really like how is this actually affecting your day-to-day quality of life? And if the things that you're doing are not improving that, then you it's it's you know you probably need some help with that. You know, yeah. so yeah, yeah. Um, I suppose a surgeon said to me, well. He said, what do you do? And I said, well, you know, I'm a teacher yoga. And he says, okay, so what are you doing that's, you know, causing this? I mean, they can be quite brusque. So I said, oh, you know, I showed, showed you, I whipped out a lotus or something. Well, one side, you know, this kind of thing. He said, well, what are you doing that for? You know, you, why, and why do you need to do that? You know, there's no, and I said, and he, and he said, well, can you run for a bus? And I said, no, you know, I can't, I can't do that. You know, and he said, okay, right. And, and I thought that was a very reasonable, right? Like, you know, it's like, well, uh, if it means that much to you, you know, to do the lotus position, you know, you're teaching it, well, and it's your livelihood. Well, that's one answer as well there. That's an answer. But on, on the other hand, if, you, if it's not, is you not your livelihood and, and you don't need to do those positions, then, well, can you run for a bus and can you walk around without pain? Well, if no, then that's another discussion as well, right? There's many kind of, you know, flow charts going on here, right? And Yeah. Like, yeah, are you able yeah. to sleep at night? Yes. <laughs> you know? it's, it's pain. Are you... Are you pain ridden all the time? <laughs> that will be a, that will that will be another discussion, right? Um, right. What else? Um, adjuncts to practice. Um, do you recommend doing along with you know kind of principles of holistic body work? Have you got any other kind of tips or or recommendations for you, along you, with um, food? Sorry, or, do you mean like do you, um? Yeah, yeah I think, eating like, or or I, I now I remember I remember teachers saying to me years ago, you do if you're doing advanced asanas, you ought to be going for a, some kind of body work at least once a month or something like that. And well, I didn't do that because I didn't have the money, but um, I thought well, that's yeah, probably a good bo- idea. Body work's amazing. <laughs> um, you know, I think my my philosophy is that active problems need active solutions. So I think that. Bodywork is great, but it's I do it more for like I do it more for the 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 kind of relaxation element, or you know what I mean, or like the self care element, um, which is a really really important. Um, I I personally don't find that um, other people doing things to me is able to help me in a physical way. 
Does that make sense? Not, not that I can't, but so yeah, so actors, so if I have an You're actor, so politic. Well, I try to find it. <laughs> I know, sorry, I really am. No, it's, um, it's great, it's great. No, I, I, I totally resonate with that view, and I've often, I mean, I, to be fair, what the guy was saying to me more was, um, you need to have a massage, you know, every, and I thought, you know, that's a good idea because muscles are, you know, you need to relax those muscles that, you know, yeah. you're working. And massage is amazing. I, yeah, I worked as a massage therapist in London for years. It's a, such an amazing modality. I love it. Um, but what I found was that um, I basically wasn't able to help people to the degree that I wanted to or, or really what they wanted. They would they would come out of the massage feeling super relaxed, amazing. You know, they'd get a great night's sleep. But then two two days later, they were back feeling physically the way they, they had before. Great. They've got respite for a couple of days. That's amazing. So I... I was just like, oh, I think there's more to this equation. But massage is amazing. I, I think it's powerful. Um, I think diet's really important. You know, I think um, I, I have a vegan lifestyle. I don't judge other do people you? from do what you? they do. It, yeah, it's something that it, I, I, I have, it, um, you know, for multiple reasons, I, I adopt that lifestyle. One of them is actually um, because eating dairy gives me really terrible, like, sinusitis. And it's just horrible. I basically feel like I've got like a band of tension across my forehead the whole time, you know. And there's all there's there's, there's and there's many other reasons why I adopt that lifestyle. But what I find is that when I we're well, in the right place. I mean, you're the right place for it these days. I mean, you're in California, right? Yeah. So where, where whereabouts so are you? Um, I'm in Beechwood Canyon, which is literally beneath the Hollywood sign. Okay. Well, yeah. There's loads of vegan places around the world, you know. You can't throw a stick without. You probably you probably can't not be vegan there now. It's amazing. It's really amazing. Like it's the the um the amount of um options we have here is incredible. You know? But when I when I eat when I eat lighter, I I wake up feeling lighter and then it's way easier for me to be physical, you know? There's no I don't think there's anything worse than waking up just feeling sluggish and feeling like heavy. Mm, you know, you're, right. fe you're feeling like you're still processing all the food from the day before. And do you still do a daily practice? You st do you still I wake do, up? I do do a daily practice, yeah. Um, but it's it's very different to what it used to look like 10 years ago. I'm, I basically roll around on the floor, Adam. Sounds great. Yeah, I love so, it. I, yeah. I love it. It's, um, you know, very gentle, very nurturing, um, a lot of like somatic movement. Um, yeah. And, it, you know, and... And then I am very active, so I hike and I swim, and I will, you know, do other things. I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful to live in an area where I'm able to get out in nature, and that's like really important for me. So yeah, it's, um, it's definitely part of my daily lifestyle. I, I'm a different person if I don't have my practice. Um, you know, it's feel I can feel it. It's so tangible. Like if I have left the house without practicing, it's like I see the world differently. So you no. still feel that that you still feel that that movement in the practice is different to the movement in the hiking or swimming or anything else. There's a specific yeah, quality yeah. in the yoga practice that resonates with oh, you. Hundred percent. It's just mm, it's interesting, that, isn't it? Just yeah. that time to be quiet, you know, and just to really check in with how I'm doing on so many levels is so powerful, and I can't do without that. You know, it's I'm so I feel so grateful that. I have yoga in my life and my life would look totally different if I didn't have it, you know. Do you feel the same? Well, I hope so. 
<laughs> if I, you know, yeah, well, if I didn't, then um, I wouldn't admit it here. <laughs> yeah, of course I do. I'm not, I was, I was I'm, hoping to get I'm, an exclusive. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, no, he hates yoga. Um, <laughs> he's just doing it for the money. <laughs> Bad choice. <laughs> um, no, um, I haven't not practiced for since I was 19. So, you know, but I really needed it. I mean, I've, you know, I've been patiently honest that I needed it, you know, doing a philosophy degree and coming from a certain from a certain place uh, where I needed it for really emotional psychological reasons um, uh, more than physical you know I was always a physical kind of guy and um, that wasn't such a problem um, it was really the, the mental stuff that I had to do it I, I came after the first class I felt the first class you know it was just such a relief to feel a bit calmer and less likely to go into a full-blown kind of anxiety attack but um you know in any moment that i you know i just had to do it you know um so so since that time i i've I practiced you know yeah um, and and earlier i talked about meditation and how it you know it was a daily practice for me for years and years and now it's not a daily practice it's something i still do regularly but it's like i have to have something you know i have to if it's not meditation i have to have my yoga practice you know i i'm the same with you like I, and i feel also that if if we want to um, feel calm and, and present and um, have a low level of anxiety, we have to put the work in every day. You know, I think we're, we're fighting a lot against a lot of things in, in this kind of life that we're all living. And I think a daily practice, whatever that means to you, is so important. You know, and you don't, you don't, I don't, I don't think you get to just practice for 20 years and then stop and keep feeling that way. I think you have to put the, the kind of work and effort in every day if you want to feel good, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I did experiment for stopping for a short period when I had a shoulder injury and it didn't, it didn't work out so great. So I totally, I totally agree. And finally, I've just always like to do this little round. What I'll give you one guilty pleasure. And uh, one inspiration, one it can be a place, a person, a book, or anything. And the guilty pleasure, don't say chocolate because we've had too many chocolates. Have to make more more creative. Um, yeah, I do. I I enjoy don't think alcohol. Too hard. You know, I you enjoy, <laughs> that's a good one. I I you know I'm Irish, but I've got I've got actually I have no um, tolerance for alcohol. <laughs> so basically, I'm like the worst Irish person. I get the worst hangover. <laughs> but no, I enjoy I enjoy you know I enjoy um, a drink. Can I, wonder, can I say this in your podcast? I'm just going to say this in your podcast. I love magic mushrooms. Oh, wow. Right. That's so, right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Right. Well, you can say that. Of course. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Right. 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 I, lo I love magic mushrooms. I, 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 tr I have such respect for magic mushrooms. I never take them in a recreational way. It's very, in a way, therapeutic. It's on with tons of respect and with intent. Okay. Well, that, that, that's just opened up a whole new podcast and a whole new podcast for <laughs> For us. No, it's not guilty at all. That's very interesting. And um, let's uh, let's reconvene on that at a later date. And um, yeah, but it, the inspiration. The, uh, yeah. Uh, what do I draw inspiration from? I think from nature. Mm, mm. You know, I I I'm I'm lucky that I'm able to do a yoga practice outside, and I'm surrounded by all these beautiful plants. And I basically love seeing the journey of these plants every day and seeing something new sprout and see I, a plant that was once kind of struggling now thriving and it's crazy isn't or it? then yeah, or, or then or, and, and it's just it's just like the resilience it's amazing and it's it's really special to observe that and it's yeah it gives me so much inspiration 
I love it. And I'm so grateful to have that in my life. Yeah. You must be green fingered then. You're not killing them, the plants. My <laughs> husband is green fingered. He looks after them and I get to reap the benefits. So it's perfect. It's good balance. <laughs> Well, that's about an hour. Um, thanks for joining us. And um, I think you've written you've written one book, and are you writing another one, or was it a course? Or there's some big work yeah, that you're working yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my my um, my first book was out in March. It's um, a guide for yoga teachers on supporting injured students and students that have common conditions. So it's doing really well. I'm really happy with that. And then, yeah, my second book should be published in January. It's basically the physiology of yoga. So um, I've read it with a um, written it with a partner. Um, and basically we delve into each system of the body and look at all the evidence base related to yoga on how yoga impacts, um, our physiology. Oh, wow. So I'm really excited. That's that. interesting. Yeah, be a good that one. sounds brilliant. Yeah. yeah absolutely. It's heavily researched. And yeah, that sounds, that sounds tough. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a good one. Thanks again. And, um, yeah, it's been a lovely Thank chat you with so you. Thank so much. And, um, yeah, um, well, that's it, really. I've really enjoyed it. Let's do it again, and we'll talk about magic mushrooms. Okay, that's <laughs> a deal. That's a deal. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Adam. Thank you, Adam. Cheers. Cheers.